what the hell is it that we're doing out here? <laughs> and, and, and the answer that Nate had come up with is, we're all just trying to figure out our human potential. A flow experience is when the body moves with the mind and the soul with seemingly effortless motion. The purest form of athletics and flow go beyond a perfection of skill and bleed into the pure joy of motion, moving faster, higher, and stronger towards limitless possibilities. These flow stories take us through the habits, goals, and exercises of refinement of people who have mastered their field. If you are looking to discipline your mind, body, and spirit to achieve together, this flow episode is for you. When the opportunity comes for you to be at your best, you will have learned to be ready to find your limit, bust through, and find your flow into a life that has meaning. All right, everybody, welcome back to Life Live Podcast. This is our second episode of the year, and today I am pumped. I've got John LaCroix on the line, and he is the race director of the Human Potential Running Series, and it is Colorado's largest running series. Welcome to the podcast, John. Oh, thanks for having me, Ryan. You're welcome. I uh, I love what I've experienced so far with you guys and your running community, but I'm really excited to dip in today and um, learn more about how you started it, why you started it, and what drove you to start it. So can you give us a little background about yourself and then lead us up to the point where uh, what drove you to start this series? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Thanks. And uh, again, thanks. Thanks for having me. And, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this uh, conversation and, and I hope that it can continue beyond uh, what we discussed here today. Um, you know, I, I became an ultra marathon runner in 2005 and that was a long time ago. <laughs> I, I don't think we realize how quickly that time has passed and I'm starting to. But when I first became an ultra marathon runner, um, you know, I had some challenges at the time in, in getting information about the sport. There, there really wasn't a social media presence out there. Uh, everything was was held on like an email listserv. Um, and, and it was so niche. There was maybe 30,000 ultra finishers in the country in, in the first year that I ran, 2005. Now there's... How old were you then? Uh, I was 23. So that's pretty young for ultra marathon or endurance running, correct? You know, back then that was extremely young. Um, I, I, I see a lot more 20 and 30 somethings nowadays. Um, but when I started, it was all 40 and 50 somethings and, and maybe some late thirties. And so I got a lot of pushback actually, when I first started and came into the sport and people found out how young I was for the sport, there was a lot of you know, uh, oh, you young people don't belong here. You don't understand what patience is yet. Um, and, and, you know, these are, this is something that people actually said to me, <laughs> like, you just, you don't know what patience is. You guys are, you're just here to take all our course records and look at me. I'm a young guy and it's, that's not what the sport is. And this is the place where the old guys come to run slower and we get to have our, you know, fame. And, and I was like, okay, well things change. Uh, and, and I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was forever ago. And, um, you know, some of the folks that took me under their wing when I first started, they told me about the community 
of ultra marathon runner uh, running and, and what it is exactly the community is doing out there and how important it is to be an active member of the community beyond your own personal running. They instilled in me that you had to give back. You have to be a big part. It doesn't happen without volunteers. Um, you know, we take each other under each other's wings. We tell it, teach each other everything we know. And, and I learned about the fat ass event and, and a fat ass is a, it's a glorified group run that, uh, there's no awards, no fees, uh, no aid, no shirts, no nothing, no whining either. Um, I mean, they're just glorified hard ass group runs. And so the, the first time I ever ran an ultra distance was actually in a fat ass run that I organized up in New Hampshire's white mountains. And I, I was pretty happy to, to, to know, I didn't know that that day, but after the fact I've, I've learned that the who's who of new England ultra running at the time is who came out. Um, like all the, like the, who I would consider to be the leaders, the legends in new England ran in that event that I, that I hosted. So I, I became an ultra runner. Uh, I got involved with uh, as an like a race director apprentice or an assistant race director with a series called Peak Races in Vermont, and we uh, created, started, and put on a snowshoe marathon, a fifty mile ultra marathon, a six hour mountain bike race, and and something called the Death Race, uh, which is what ended up spawning the Spartan races uh, down the road. Um, so I'm I'm lower than ground level, <laughs> uh, you know, when it comes to, to how Spartan came to be, but I don't actually have any hands in Spartan. Um, I just was there, uh, helping and, and exchanging ideas before it was Spartan. Um, and then I gave, you know, I directed the first 200 miler in the world in 2008 in Vermont. That was the first race I ever directed. We had a hundred miler with it and a 50 miler with it. And I, it was so hard, so rocky, such a bad experience for me that I decided that I wasn't going to race direct again. And so I didn't. But when I moved to Colorado in 2011, I created a fat ass series here in Colorado. And, and the reason I did is because it puzzled me greatly how everybody could call this the trail running Mecca. But when I got here, there wasn't anybody running together because everybody was training to race each other. And you didn't train with the people you race against, right? And so mm -hmm. there just really wasn't a big community here. So I decided I was going to start a fat-ass series here. And once again, I got a, a ton of pushback from a lot of the who's who in Boulder Front Range trail running, telling me that you can't do this, you shouldn't do this, that's against the rules. And I, and I told them, well, I, you know, I have a degree in outdoor ed, I, I concentrated a focus in recreation management. I understand the law and the rules, and I'm telling you that this can and should be done. So we're going to do it. And so the, the first fat ass I held was me and one other person. And that first winter, 2011, 2012, we had the same 14 regulars that came out, just 14 people. But by 2013, 2014, we were averaging over 100 runners per fat ass. And the land managers were definitely taking notice. And we recognized that something needed to be done. We had to get our numbers lower. And, I, you know, I had, I had lost my job a second time 
you know, after having moved here to the front range, trying to make it, I, I just wasn't making it. And a group of my friends who ran in my fat asses, um, through like an intervention for me. And that intervention wasn't to tell me to stop doing something. It was to convince me to become a full-time race director. And they went on for 45 minutes. And then I responded for 45 minutes telling them why I shouldn't be a business owner. Uh, and they included a lot of things like, um, I've had bad experiences before with working with other people um, you guys are, you love me now, but I'm ultimately going to have to make decisions for my business that you don't like or agree with. And it's going to jeopardize our friendship and my friendships mean way too much to me. And so I don't want to jeopardize my friendships just to, to build a business. And, you know, I, I, I really spent some time. I'd thought about it a lot before they even brought it to me. And, you know, uh, ultimately I relented and uh, created the Human Potential Running Series in March of 2014. And here we are. Mm. I want to go back to Vermont just for a second, because I think that's a, an interesting thing. So after, can you tell what those challenges were or why you decided at that point, this is, <laughs> I never want to do this again when you directed the 200 mile race? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? So in Vermont, what was the challenge that you had or what made you say, oh. I, I never want to do this again? <laughs> yeah, you know, the the guys that I was working with uh, up at Peak Races, they're an interesting bunch of guys. Um, I wouldn't say they were very organized, but they were organized enough. And in deciding that I would put on a race, I asked the three of them uh, who I worked with if, if they'd be willing to help me. And they said yes. And so I went about basically one guy telling him, all right, well, you're going to make sure that we get shirts and you're going to make sure that we get um, food for the aid stations. And this other guy, you're in charge of helping me with establishing a route and making sure that it's it'll work. And then the third guy was, and you're going to help me get permits. So I got about two week, two months out from this race and I contacted all of them to find out their progress and none of them had done anything. And I like, what do you mean? You had, like, we didn't have a permit. So I had to go back and redesign the entire course to be 100% on private property and county roads to make it happen. But it also meant that I had to email the participants and tell them, uh, we've run into some issues with permitting. The race isn't going to happen uh, as we thought it would. In fact, now it's going to be 10 mile loops 20 times. <laughs> oh, wow. uh, and the first hundred will be on trail and the second hundred will be on road. Uh, there's a little bit more elevation gain and loss than you were planning. And, and the runners were pissed. And that, that was just the beginning of it. Like I, I showed up and my guy who, who had the, so I wasn't in charge of the finances. The, uh, the, the overarching business was, and that's why I had somebody else in charge of buying food and buying shirts. And when I arrived on race weekend, there were no shirts. We gave everybody a we gave everybody a leftover shirt from our mountain bike race that happened three months prior. <laughs> uh, and then the food, the guy also owned the general store in town, a really tiny town. Like there's a hundred people living there. Um, so our aid station was pretty much everything that was about to expire in the deli 
at the general store and we made a cauldron like we filled a cauldron and made a miscellaneous stew out of it and of course you know caffeine free diet coke and just <laughs> it was a absolute train wreck and the guys that i counted on who told me that they were going to help they they really knew what to do and and how to do it in ways that i just didn't yet um they just they totally dropped the ball on you know and they didn't and they didn't care so i mean they didn't even help me find volunteers i had to make phone calls to my best friends that lived three, four hours away and asked them to drop everything to come to Vermont and man aid stations for me. And they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this isn't just me, you know, passing the buck. I, it, it, it's such an uncomfortable story. Uh, the long and short of it is, it's just, it was a shit show, man. And, and, and I tried my best to, to lead and, and I just, I wasn't a good leader on it. And it was a huge learning experience about reliability, dependability, friendship and business. Sure. Uh, and I'll never forget the lessons I learned in that first experience, but we did Which it. Is we the most the important part. And, and you pulled it off. Yeah. It actually did. It actually went. Yes, sir. So let's fast forward back to this intervention for the greater good, really for you to, you know, these people, these people that care about you and the, the people that want to see you succeed. Probably the most in the, in that room there were, trying to uh, convince you or to influence you to, to start HPRS. So what was, what drove you, what in your heart cracked, what, what happened there that you said, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, I I moved to Colorado. Yeah. I I moved to Colorado because this is the, this is where I wanted to have a family and raise my kids. And um, I, I wanted to live my best life here, not, not in New Hampshire. Um, not in the Northeast. And, and, you know, a decade later, I can tell you, I feel more at home in Colorado than I ever have in the Northeast. Like this place is for me, but as with anybody who moves here, you got to find a way to make it. And, and it's not always easy at first. Um, this is an expensive place to live. Um, I don't think it's any different than, than any other places really, but it, but it's still expensive and it's hard. And there's a lot of people here all competing for the same jobs, most of which were in the industry that that I was in. And so, um, you know, listening to my my friends at the time, listening to their convincing me why this was a good business decision, why this was a good decision for my family, how I could actually make money being a race director. Because at the time, I just didn't see it. The, the numbers didn't add up to me. Like, there's no way. It's not a lucrative thing. It isn't something that you're, you know, I, I don't, I didn't see how I was going to be able to, to support my family by doing this. Um, so I, I, you know, I saw the limitations and like anybody, I had every reason in the book not to do it. And my friends, you know, they showed up with all the reasons why I should. And, you know, I, I really listened to them and, and they listened to me. And at the end of the conversation, it was really you know, I looked at my wife at the time and it's like, Hey, like if I'm going to do this, I mean, this is going to take a lot of time and energy and it's more time and energy away from us. And so I'm only going to do it so long as you're comfortable in knowing that, you know, what is required of owning this business and running a business. 
Uh, and she said she did and, and she supported me. And so the next day I had an LLC and, and I was off and running and, and really I didn't have a choice because I, I, I couldn't find, like, dude, I had applied to over 200 jobs and I had 10 interviews and just nothing was panning out. Uh, and it was just, I, I had no choice. I, I just bought a house. I had a newborn. I had to make something work. Failure was not an option. But at the same time, this was about, you know, the same time that, you know, Lifetime Fitness had purchased the Leadville Race Series uh, in 2009, 2010. And by 2013, they pretty much run the tradition of Leadville into the ground. Um, they put on a, a subpar event in 2013, and, and I was one of the many people who were outraged by what this corporate entity had turned that historic event into, and I still am. And so a lot of people, as, as I was outspoken and telling people, this is not ultra running. This is not who we are. This is not how we do it. And people were like, if, if you don't like it, start your own. Show us how to do it. And so, <laughs> okay. And you did. Okay. So, so there I was creating the, the, the race series, literally just over the other side of the ridge from Leadville. I'm in, you know, my first, you know, my, my, I guess my third, fourth and fifth race that I created was in, it's, it's in fair play. And so there I was competing directly with Leadville, providing the exact opposite of what they were providing. And that was so important to me, especially here in Colorado to get, as many people as I could like as possibly see that this is not a sport for corporations. This is not a sport where we make a buck. It's not a quick money grab. It's not a steal. It, it's more than that. This, this sport is a community and we need to protect that at all costs. And so I, I created HPRS at first to really push against that corporate movement. So the contrast there was, I, I heard you mention earlier, it was, uh, there were so, so much competition and so much, uh, racing going on and what you really knew ultra to be. And really what I, my only experience has been so, thus far is that it's all about the community and that aspect really wasn't being represented. Yeah. Yeah. Anymore. You know, like it was the first time that a major race was sold to a corporation and, and we suspect that it was a $2 million deal. Mm. Um, and it, wow, what a game changer. And now all of a sudden it's like every Tom, Dick and Harry wants to be a race director because they see an opportunity to make money. Oh, I can build a race. It'll be awesome. And then 20 years later, I'll sell it for a million dollars. And it's just, but that's not always how it works. Um, not at all, but yeah, the focus, what I knew and understood of ultra running and what made me fall in love with it is that community is paramount. You support each other. If you're not running this month's race, you're volunteering at it. And if you're not volunteering, you better be crewing or pacing somebody. And so no matter what race you went to, you saw the same people every month and it was like a family reunion and there was no special award or special buckle for first, second, or third, everybody got the same buckle from first to last. Some, some hundreds, they had, you know, a silver buckle if you did sub 24 and a pewter buckle if you did over 24 hours. 
um, that was the only real delineation that we had. Otherwise, everybody was an equal. Everybody was treated and celebrated the same. Nobody's closing aid stations before the last runner comes through or, or is accounted for. Nobody's tearing down a finish line until everybody's in. Um, and, and everybody hung out at the finish line and cheered for each other, even if it was 20 hours after you finished that the last person came in. Um, and that's not the direction our sport was heading at the time. Um, it, we went a completely different direction and, and, and it was right after born to run when the road runners started, you know, coming in more in mass and, and bringing their traditions with them, which, which is okay. I mean, there's room for us to, to grow and change, but not that drastically, not that fast. Mm -hmm. And so the, I mean, this, this is kind of where I want to take this to next is, uh, so to, to me, like the community is this, it's really kind of like three prong to me. It's, it's, it's a group of people who, who learn to live and also share life struggles through running but also there's this like sharing of stories or this this uh, social aspect to it that's really awesome and then there's this volunteering aspect so can you speak to to the volunteering aspect because this is how i actually got involved with you guys is i met i saw the arch uh at south park and i went up i talked to uh cat one of the volunteers and i said what's going on here she's like a race and i was like races are going on this year and so this is obviously this last year here and so i was really excited just to be able to even have the opportunity to do a race but i actually came in uh just to check it out and to feel it out through volunteerism so can you speak to to that aspect of this racing community and, and what that means yeah, and, and I'll first I'll touch on your comment that no races were happening last year. That <laughs> yeah, that became my biggest pet peeve of 2020 uh, when somebody would post online. Well, since since all races are canceled, I decided to do this instead. And and every time I was like, not all races are canceled. Mm -hmm. um, and and we did become the only major race series in the whole world. That includes Ironman, obstacle course racing mountain biking, so like anybody that's got double digit number of events, we're the only one in any spectrum that hosted our full schedule last year. Wow. That's huge. And we couldn't have done that without volunteers. And, you know, I, I, I if you're an ultra marathon runner, when you go to a race and you run a 50 K or you run a 50 mile, there are people out there who are manning those aid stations um, they're cutting up fruit, they're making sandwiches, they're keeping you fed, they're keeping you hydrated, they're applying first aid, they're checking on you. They're, they're, they are literally a huge piece of your success. Yes, of course, we can do this without them. You can run 50 miles with just what's on your back if you want. But the whole point of going to a race is not to race. It really, like some people think it is, and I respect that. But I don't think, you know, there's a reason the the Western States 100 calls itself the Western States 100-mile endurance run. They don't, they don't call it the 100-mile endurance race. It's a run, and these are events. And these people have given a day to you to help you with your goals. And so at some point, it's only right of you to return the favor. 
which means that you would turn around and you would spend time behind the table cutting up fruit, cooking quesadillas, filling water bottles to help them with their goals. And and that is how I understood that that this sport always worked. You run some, you help it some. There's something to be done. There's always something to do. And and if you can make the, if you have the time to race, you have the time to volunteer. If you have the time to train, you have the time to volunteer. You know, that it's really that simple. Right. Um, I remember it, you mentioning uh, a survey that was put out. It was a, is it ATRA is the organization? Yes. And 30% of people said they didn't have time to that's right. volunteer, but they have time to run. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're always curious like, to me. And, and we've long known that running, long distance running especially, and ultra marathon running are selfish endeavors. But at, at some point, you do need to be selfless. Yeah. And I also will speak to that for myself as just being involved in the race. The first thing that I, the first race that I uh, volunteered at th- this last year was Sangre. And uh, I ended up being like the shorter to cook. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing, but they need me. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to step up and figure it out. (laughs) And like I had, we were kind of talking about in our pre-discussion that I was really intimidated. Like, and I'm saying this for my listeners, for anyone that uh, is interested in ultra racing or is uh, wants to test themselves out these endurance events is that it's so cool because you can warm up to it just by going and volunteering. And I have to say that I'm, I'm so glad to see the people and I'm always just so full of gratitude and happiness when I come up to an aid station, because you're absolutely right. Those are the people that, you know, there's nothing more valuable than time. And they gave me their time that day to show up and to basically feed me and keep me well-fed and make sure that I'm hydrating and also encourage me too. I just couldn't tell you how many times I just heard the other volunteers I was with just like encouraging runners. And if they sat down, it's like, Hey, what's going on? What we, can we get you? And it was just awesome because we're all out there to struggle. We may be out there to, uh, uh, overcome something through struggle and just become better people. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, it's just a big testament to how you run your races. Now that I've seen both sides of that is that I really feel like you have this unremitting willingness to shoulder whatever responsibility you have to. And I know that's like a lot. So one, I just want to thank you, but also can you speak to that side of, of like really the organization of one of these events, because you do have some unique experience in knowing the laws and knowing how permitting works and uh, like what, how do you assess the risk versus like what people's maybe perceived risk is out there? being a race wow, director. That, that is a, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> bite off, just bite off a little, you know, yeah. a little chunk of it for us just it, to give us okay. an idea. And while I, while I'm thinking of my answer there, um, just back to volunteering briefly, we're pretty generous at HPRS. If, if you come and volunteer with us, you earn $10 an hour in race credits for time served. And, and there are certain tasks that'll earn you th- $20 an hour and certain times, like if you do an overnight shift, you'll get $20 an hour. You could come and volunteer at an entire race with us. And then you get, basically you could earn enough credits for two free races. <laughs> and and so it really does promote um, that idea of 
you're running some, you're volunteering at some, but you know, that's, that's just how we're trying to build community. In, in terms of the, you know, the logistics of putting on a race, every race is different. Um, like stories ultra is our next race coming up beginning of February. We put it on at a state park. That's it. We have one land manager. It's the state park. Um, so we, you know, we, we build a relationship with them at that one state park and their land managers and whoever's in charge uh, of events there. And, and you basically, you find out what hoops you have to jump through and you jump through them. And that's just to get a permit. And one of those things is, you know, we have to have an emergency action plan. We call it an EAP. And basically it's a, it's an in-depth risk management plan that speaks directly towards what's going to happen if an emergency takes place, right? Um, and there are very few race directors out there that even know how to make one of those plans really and, and thoroughly so that if anybody gets sued, your ass is covered with a black and white plan. Well, well this is our plan and we followed it. And it's a part of our permit and you read it beforehand, you approved it. So, um, you know, it's, it's just all about covering yourself from, from, from liability, but. Yeah. It's also for the runners. Cause then, I mean, I'm at ease knowing one of my wife's, you know, uh, I guess safety fears is that, you know, I'm going to be out there alone and something's going to happen to me. And so, uh, she's more at ease to know that there are, there's a plan. You can't always account for anything that's going to happen, everything that's going to happen out there. But it makes it, like, if I'm going to run 50 or a hundred miles, it makes me feel good that somebody's got my back. Why I might not be thinking about anything else other than putting one foot in front of the other. Right. Yeah. And you know, the twice in the last two years, we've had to implement the EAP and, and put it to use. And you make that plan hoping you never have to use it. Sure. Um, Is that because people got lost or if there, were there injuries? What, what, what can happen out there? <laughs> uh, we had a runner uh, get lost down in Arkansas two okay. years ago. Uh, and then uh, last year we had a 200 mile runner um, at Sangre de Cristo who, who hadn't checked in uh, or, or texted his family rather, or, or checked into the start finish line in the time that they suspected that he would. Um, and so the family had an emergency, but in black and white, we just weren't there yet. Mm-hmm. And and the plan that we had in place is actually how we found found him and and figured out where he was. Was sure. a sweeper came upon him, and and that's what that's designed for. Is they're not just taking ribbons down. That person is if they find a runner or anybody, they they get a hold of us. And so, you know, there there's people out there who believe that our plan should be you know, this way, but they're not race directors Mm -hmm. and they're not all even ultra runners. And so, you know, I I think that gives me a leg up. It's not just the degrees that I've obtained, um, prior to, to getting into this full time and, and my, my very vast and personal experiences in race direction. It's also my experience as a runner and, and having run ultra marathons for 16 years. I've, I've run 200 miles. I've run a, I've run 23 100 mile races or some ridiculous number like that like there isn't there's very little i haven't seen from the runner side uh and and it's my understanding of what actually happens out there that allows me to create concrete 
plans that we can follow safely. Yeah. I want to switch gears a little bit. Sure. And I want to know, I think that you're, uh, you dare people to discover their potential through HPRS. It's not, it's not like, a. It's it's it, there's are aspects about it that are so unique, and I wish I could put into words um, succinctly here. But can you tell us why you named it Human Potential first? Yeah, when I uh, lived in New Hampshire, I used to run with my uh, my best friend ever. His name is Nate Sanel, and uh, he's a business owner and a really smart dude. Very insightful. Some of the best conversations I've ever had in my life were with Nate. And there was one summer in particular, as we were training for the Vermont 100 together, we, we talked a lot about what the hell is it that we're doing out here? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the answer that Nate had come up with is, we're all just trying to figure out our human potential. We're, we're just trying to figure out what is possible. What can we do? And, and man, I, I really took that to heart in a way that he never intended. It became the focus of my undergrad uh, at UNH. Um, all of my, you know, my, my purpose behind getting a degree in outdoor education was because I want to help people realize their potential as human beings. And that's not just physically, it's emotionally, it's mentally, it's, you know, th there's many aspects to life beyond just can I lift a car over my head? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, like over time, over the years, everything that, that I do and I've done, I always come back to this concept of human potential. Uh, and you know, when I first moved out here, my fat ass series was called the team Sherpa winter series. And I had an, a, a runner that came over from grand junction. He drove all the way over here to run with us. And, and one day he said, you know, John, you, you should change it to, my, my blog at the time was Sherpa John Human Potential. And he said, you should just rename your runs the Human Potential Running Series. I bet you more people would sign up. And I was like, well, that's a great idea. <laughs> and, and, and so it was. I, I, I named it HPRS, the Human Potential Running Series. And, and, and over the years, as we've grown and, and we've morphed quite a bit, you know, it's, it's not... I don't pay any attention to Leadville anymore. I don't care what they're doing or who owns them or, or how corporations have, have a, uh, you know, an, an elevated role in our sport. I don't care about that anymore. I recognize, I went back to that question. What the hell is it that we're doing here? Uh, and, and, and the answer I found is every single ultra runner that I know is here working on something this is therapy. Yeah. And so we need to facilitate a therapeutic experience. Mm. And that is how you find your human potential. That's how outward bound works. It's how Knowles works, right? Mm -hmm. um, so we're the, we're the same thing. We're just a, we're just a race series using experiential education as a vehicle for personal change. Yeah. I love the quote on the website. It just says, um, I think that yeah, this was you. I focus on the person, not solely the runner, mm -hmm. but who they are on the inside. I use personal strife as a mechanism for self-actualization. It's not a race to me. 
It's an endurance run filled with individuals on the search of personal freedom and or enlightenment. What would be your, what's, what's enlightenment to you? Have you found enlightenment on the trail? Yeah. In your own personal life? Yeah. I I think that you give us an example. I think enlightenment comes down to self-awareness. That's what enlightenment is to me. Like for you to be enlightened, uh, I, I think what that really means is that you've figured out how to illuminate who you are. Um, and so I think through these big endeavors, you know, if like when I ran 200 miles, I ran for five days and that's all I did for five days. I got up and ran. <laughs> uh, and I was alone on the Eastern plains of Colorado, just working my way from the lowest point in the state towards the highest point in the state. And there's no trees and no people and no cars. It's a wilderness unlike anything I'd ever experienced. But it was on that journey that I finally started to accept really who I'd become, who I am, what I'm all about, what I need to fix, what's unacceptable, you know, what work do I really need to do? What is before me? And, and, you're not even to the point of how do I tackle that yet? You're just at, you know, for me, it was a man, I'm still not even close to who I know I can be and who I want to be. I, and you know, you have that conversation with yourself. Well, well, who am I? Well, this is who you are. Who, that's rough. Who do I want to be? Well, this is who I want to be. All right. Well, how do I get there? And, and that is enlightenment to me. That is the, the having the, it's the balls, you know, like we all, we all have some ugly Ryan, right? There's, there's things about us that we don't necessarily want to publicly admit, but some people even have a hard time admitting it personally just to themselves and, and accepting that whether you like it or not, that's who you are. And and the power to change that rests solely with you. Nobody else. Nobody's coming to save you. Nobody. Nobody is coming to to knock on the door and and tell you how to do it. Some people are going to try, but but those people don't even know you enough. They're not self aware of them enough of themselves. How the hell are they going to be aware enough about who you are to be able to help you become who you can be? Only you get to decide that. Only you get to take that journey. Only you get to put the wheels in motion. Only you get to decide the timeline. Nobody else gets to decide any of those things for you. There's nobody coming. It's, it's you, it's on you. And the first step is admitting honestly and openly, even if it's just to yourself, just who you are and then figuring out who you want to be. And then you, you got to make a plan and, and you go from there. And I think that ultra marathon running long days in the woods by yourself or even long days in the woods with others where you're talking about life on the trail. That's what people talk about in an ultra. We talk about life Mm -hmm. and you hear other perspectives. You remember that, Ryan? We used to be able to talk to people and have differing perspectives. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And instead of being angry at them, it would just inform your point of view a little bit better or differently. Like Back in the days, there was no cancel button. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, uh, or defriend or whatever, whatever right. people are doing on the socials these days. <clears throat> I, I agree. I mean, I just went on a group run just this, uh, two weekends ago 
and I end up talking to this gal and we just, it was an awesome way to reflect on just like, what the hell happened last year and how did we get through it and what, what did we see? And I, I tell you, she, her perspective was completely different than mine because she just lives a different life and she has a different experience of life. But like we were both out there sharing with each other. We weren't arguing to the point of like, I'm going to push you off the trail or something like that. It's, it's like, or I'm going to run ahead or, you know, I'm going to drop back with some people. It's just, we're just having a conversation and some of the thing perspectives we share. And then some of the other things because of, you know, my expertise in my field or, you know, she was an engineer. So she had that perspective and it was just, yeah, that's what, that's what I love about and, and am, am drawn to this. Can you, because I think that, you know, just sharing with you a little, I have probably shared with you a little bit about last year, but you know, when I, what really drew me to the arch when I saw it there in the rec, near the recreation center in, in South park and fair play was, uh, the name. I was like human potential. That's cool. And I also had the perspective of my, the two races that I had tried to do before that time were canceled. So I just, you know, assumed that everything was canceled. But when I went over there, that was what really drew me. And then like having the, the volunteer experience, because I was pretty intimidated. Uh, I, I'm newer to ultra running and like just in the December, I just did my first 50 miler. So I haven't even done anything above that yet. And, um, just checking you guys out, I was already put at ease by just being given a job and be having the opportunity to like, see what everybody's like. And like, what my experience was is that like, I, I you know, my wife and I just moved here in the last couple of years and I just haven't felt like I've, I've found a tribe or I, I found a community of, um, outside of, you know, my ch men's church groups, I just hadn't found a, a group and like, I was so excited when I came back from that camping trip because I told my wife, I said, I found my, I found my people. I think I found my people. And this was even before I even did anything. And then just to let you know how much, uh, how grateful I am for, for how generous you guys are. Like we're starting a business. We newly weds, you know, like you said earlier, it's very expensive to live out here. And I was bummed out because something that came up in conversations with my wife and I was, she, she's like, you can't spend money on that right now. Like, you, you know, it's just like, it's, it's a lot, you know, to, to travel to a race and to get a hotel if you're, you know, you're going far. And I said, I totally agree. And so like a lot of the time I was just running by myself and I really, I missed my friends back in Georgia running with them. And so, uh, when I volunteered and then I, and then on top of that, I realized that I could like qualify to run races. That was like a dream come true for me this last year. And I have to say that, like, I, I think I ran like four or five different or no, but I think three different events with you guys uh, from, you know, August to, to December. And uh, it made my year. It really did. And I had not, I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I would have been able to volunteer with you guys. So thank you for that. And uh, I don't even remember where I was going with that. But I wanted to thank you. And I also wanted to uh, to read this quote to you because uh, this, this was my next question is like what your experience has been of people, uh, you know, uh, I, I know you've seen hundreds of runners just go through that finish line and, 
um, and finish and you give them a hug at the end and congratulate them. And I just want to know your perspective after I read this quote on what you've seen, how you see people, what change you see in people in doing your guys' events specifically. So this is the quote. It's by Dr. Candace Pert. It says, most psychologists treat the mind as disembodied, a phenomenon with little or no connection to the physical body. Conversely, physicians treat the body with no regard to the mind or the emotions, but the body and mind are not separate and we cannot treat one without the other. And so I want to know, one, if you agree with that quote, and two, what is it about the human potential running series that allows people to either work through this disunity of their mind and body, or uh, what have you seen that allows them to unify their mind and body through the, through your events? I know there's a lot there, but. You know, I, I actually, I appreciate that quote a lot and I, I do agree with it. Um, I agree with the quote highlights two perspectives about the mind and body. And, you know, I, in, in when I, in my undergrad, I, I would had to write a research paper. It was my philosophy of outdoor education. Why do I think it's important? And, and this still holds true to me today. And, and the whole paper that I wrote was about human potential. And I know that a lot of people believe that we're left or right brained, right? People ask you, are you left brained? Or are you right brained? And and I think that's horseshit. That's the psychologist's way of figuring out uh, like human behavior in, in some regard, okay? Mm-hmm. But I, I take the other approach, which is, what if we're not left and right brain, but we're actually up and down brained? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's the difference between your cerebrum and your cerebellum. And one of them is where you get all your thoughts and ideas, your your crazy idea to run 100 miles. You have to think that up for yourself. And I think that's where your cerebrum comes in. Your up brain is where, you, where all your thought happens. But your cerebellum, the down brain, is where action takes place. And so physically, you know, both the psychological and the physical have to meet. And they have to meet in the middle. And the middle is the middle in between your two ears. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's what makes ultra running so unique is that it's an opportunity for people to come out and exercise what's between their ears. And so anybody who's running ultra, people ask us all the time, what do you think about while you're out there? Like, do you listen to music? And I can't listen to music. It drives me nuts uh, on the trail. The time on the trail is, is for me. That's for my psychology. I, I think about life, where I'm, where, where I've been, where am I heading? Who do I want to journey with? Who are these people around me journeying right now? What, what can they provide me? What gifts can they give me on this adventure that I'm on? There's something to take away from everyone and everything out here. And physically, it's your opportunity to be a superhero. Most people would argue that we're not meant to run such long distances. And yeah, maybe we are, maybe we aren't. But at the end of the day, you've got to think about how to get your machine to work to get you to that finish line. And so you actually are working in concert between the physical and the psychological to attain the finish line. You, you can't just 
I see it all the time. You, you're mentioning the finish line. Yeah. I, I see people who show up to an ultra who think that it's entirely a physical endeavor and they're just there to crush it. <laughs> and they're the people that suffer the most. They're the people that are the unhappiest at the finish line. They are the people who got slapped by something they didn't expect, like a technical trail or too many hills or the amount of time they're going to spend walking. They only appreciate the physical, but it's the individuals who appreciate the psychological and know just how much running an ultra is done with your brain that they truly feel accomplished regardless of the time on the clock when they get to the finish line, regard, irregardless of, of what all went on out there, good or bad. They're just happy to be done, and, and they did good work on themselves. And, and that is why when people cross the finish line, I give them a hug and I tell them, I hope you did good work on yourself today. Because I know that in order to get there, you had to. And, and those runners who only see the physical challenge and they're bull rushing it and, and they're unhappy at the finish line, I don't normally say to them, I hope you did good work on yourself out there today because I know that they probably didn't. I, I think that they're just bushed because, man, they just, <laughs> they just wreck themselves and they just don't get it yet. And, and for, for them, you know, I may say something like, you know, I hope you'll join us again and continue to explore within. Have you seen change in people from that like physical crush? I'm going to race everybody and it's about me finishing the best time I can get to like the trails that's like changing them because their, their mind and their, uh, their upper mind and their lower mind are starting, starting to, to talk and to, they start to realize it's really just two sides of the same coin. Yes. I, I have, you know, there's some people that. Does anything come to mind? Any story? There's one, there's one kid, his name is Anthony Kunkel uh -huh. and he's one of the top ultra runners in the country now. But when he came into the sport years ago, it was during my fat ass series and, and we did the Highline Canal end to end. It's in Denver. It's the longest recreational urban recreational trail in America. It's 70 miles end to end hmm. and the, and there's zero elevation. It's mostly flat. So we had a fat ass on it, but this kid showed up and he's going to win it. He's going to win the race. He's going to crush it. He's, you know, and, and the kid went out there and got lost and he got lost because he wasn't paying attention. He got lost because he didn't read any of the pre-run information. He got lost because he thought it was a race when the reality is there wasn't anybody racing against him. And he had such a horrible experience that he wondered if he would continue to be an ultra marathon. And I was so pissed at him. I told him to never come back again. And he hasn't, um, mostly because he was, it, it, it harkened back to the day when I started and realized, you know, that old saying again, you're too young to understand patience. And, and he really was, but here we are years later and, and he has become one of the top ultra runners in the country, but it's still just a physical, thing for him. And, and I, I'm sure he's changed as a person. I'm sure he's changed as a human and the way he thinks, I just don't see it on the outside. And, and I hope that over time when his body starts to quit on him, he'll, he'll change his focus on why he's doing this. And, you know, Ann Trayson, uh, she's the inductee into the ultra running hall of fame for 2020. One of the most storied female ultra runners ever. 
and she used to crush and win everything. And then she stepped away from the sport for a while and, and she's come back and she's come back as a mid and back of the pack runner. And she has flowers in her hat and she's just happy to be out there and happy to encourage others. And so you have seen this seismic shift in, in her transformation from being a racer to figuring out what it is to be a human and part of the collective. Um, and it's such a beautiful thing to see. And, and I've seen it during races where, you know, I've seen runners just completely fallen apart by mile 20 of a 50 miler. And I've had a pep talk with them that explains to them to quit thinking about the race and just think about being here, be in the moment, fucking Zen, man, Buddha master, let's go. <laughs> and, and I, I've seen entire days turn around completely. Yeah. I mean, I, I just moved here and I, I lived back, I've lived here for a short time in Durango in 2015 and it's just something in me, like you said earlier, is like something in me. It's like the mountains are calling me. The mountains are calling me. I mean, they're always just pulling me back, pulling me back. And I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to get out there ever again. And so, I mean, for me, I am still like, you know, kid at a birthday party that just had way too much cake. When I get out there, it, it's like, especially new first experiences for me. And I don't know if you can, uh, you know, uh, speak to this, but new first experiences for me. Like when I uh, went to Sangre for the first time, like, Ooh, what's this going to be like? And what's it, what are the trails going to be like? And, um, it's just amazing to, to show up, you know, and, and see something for the first time and, and just to even be out there, even if it's like really windy or cold or whatever. I mean, you just, you roll with the punches, but I still have that excitement of seeing something for the first time. And every single run that I go on, even if I've been out there before, it's like I run in Boulder all the time. And it's like, I've never seen that, this little section before. I, I've, you know, I'm still exploring and, and finding new, new avenues, but, um, how, how much of a part of our sport is that for, for people? Like, do you think there's a lure there? Uh, why is the sport growing so fast? Uh, what, what's the lure to this, these events? Yeah, I think you touched on it there, Ryan. It's, you know, why did OCR become so hugely popular, obstacle course racing? Well, it's because you want the badge. You want to be able to say you did that badass thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that been there, done that kind of comes into play. And and these same athletes, these same humans, well, what what else can I do? What's next? Oh, I could do an Ironman. I mean, that's kind of like an obstacle course race, right? Mm -hmm. Three different disciplines. And then you find out that there's something even harder than an Ironman. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, shit, I've got to do that. And, and, you know, I can be honest and say when I was 23 years old, that was part of my motivation was I don't want to just die and be forgotten. I want to accomplish great fucking things in this life. When I, when I get to my funeral, I want people to know that I lived. I lived hard and I pushed myself. I was always after finding out what is what is possible. But I, I think that obstacle course racing has created this amusement ride environment and ultra running is just another thing you buy a ticket to ride. And, and, and the ride is, you know, you're just trying to one-up your friends by getting on the scarier roller coaster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So 
to kind of wrap this up, I, I want to give people a flavor of, because, you know, I really feel like HPRS is really a platform for people to come together and, and really learn to, to live a better version of themselves, to have a platform, to just be human and to have these conversations without, you know, worried about being canceled or defriended or, or, or hate it or, or whatever it is. Like, I just think you do such a good job of like, um, yeah, just being real. And so can you give, can you give the listeners and also uh, anyone that, that may have not experienced an event, like let's um, give an example of like the stories uh, race or um, event and like ha- what what do the runners do and you know how do they while they're on the run are they challenged to um, observe themselves and also uh, this uh, this way that you get them to reflect can you just tell the listeners about what the stories event is all about yeah sure i'd love to um stories ultra is our next race february 6th in colorado springs colorado it's a timed event so there's 30 hours, 15 hours, and the six hour. And you sign up for one of those. And basically that means you're either going to have 30 hours, 15 hours, or six hours to run as many miles as you can or want. Um, usually these timed events take place on like a half mile path around a lake or on a track or around the warning track of a baseball stadium, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one's unique because we have multiple colored loops um and and they're red green blue and purple uh, if you're in the 30 or 15 hour you'll you'll run those in that order red green blue purple and then you start back over red green blue purple and that continues and so the first time you run the red loop it's a totally different loop the second time you get there because everybody else has run on it and the weather's changing and the daylight's changing and you know etc um so that's what makes it really unique is that it, it's always different. Um, but the other thing is that we put a question on the back of every runner's bib. And those questions are existential in nature. They are designed to, basically it's like a thought prompt uh, for, for the race. They are, um, you know, just questions to, to get you to, to ponder and consider, um, you know, the 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 things that that we maybe think about while we're running but don't really provide the the attention to so some of those questions are things like what is it that you know for sure how have you improved the world what have you taught someone and what have you learned from someone are you remaking the world or yourself? Hmm. Who, who or what is God in your life? Yeah, we go there. <laughs> um, Love it. You know, how do your dreams grow into action? And, and the hope is that runners will ponder this question throughout the event and then agree to, to be interviewed for my podcast, the Ultra Stories podcast, um, to answer that question. And, you know, we used to, we used to do those interviews during the race and now we've, we've started to do it post race. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can get a little more in depth with people for 45 minutes. We can meet them, find out what they're about and, and then get into answering 
these questions. And, and, you know, we used to do it that people would give it a 10 minute answer during the race. And then we'd try to, you know, pontificate on what the hell is it that they're actually talking about, <laughs> you know? And, and I, I just, I want people to tell us what they're talking about. I want to hear your story. I want to hear what you discovered out there because I know that ultra running is a, is part, a huge part of it is self-discovery and it's about obtaining that enlightenment, that self-awareness. And so these questions facilitate that. And what we hear and learn along the way only informs our own, my own knowledge, your own knowledge, if you listen, right? I mean, they're, they're gifts. We're giving this gift of thought to each other. So important. Um, but there is no timed event in the sport of ultramarathon running that uses multiple loops. We're the only one. And as far as I know, there's no ultra other ultra that puts an existential question on the back of your bib and asks you to answer it. Uh, you don't have to, it's not required. Um, but it ends up being a really profound experience, a really great race. And, uh, I love putting it on for that reason. Yeah. I, I'm going to be volunteering there. So I'm really excited to just, hit, you know, ponder some of those questions myself as I, if I see the bibs go by, um, just to wrap up here, uh, we, we are in kind of unchartered territory and, and with you being the director of the only running series that, that put all their events on last year, what, uh, are you, what are you excited about for this year? And is there any kind of, um, uh, creative visions or creative, um, ways that you're making your, your races different this year? for people to look forward to. Yeah. You know, um, this year is all about community with us. I'm, I'm most excited about doing it again. We're going to host everything again. Um, I, as an ultra marathon runner and you know, this Ryan, um, we don't quit. We just don't quit. Uh, and so I carry that to heart and I do feel an obligation to my community of runners to serve them in this way, to provide them with the opportunity to be together and to explore together. So we're looking forward to doing it again. Um, but the main focus this year, we just had a board meeting last night and we talked about this a lot is uh, community. We really want to focus on community. I, I couldn't stress enough to my board and my ambassadors that you know, above all else, I don't want a single runner to feel like a stranger at one of our races this year. I don't want them to feel like they're interfering with a click. I, we got to know who's who and, and keep them coming out. I, we got to make sure everybody feels like a valued, important member of this community. And there isn't one person that isn't. And so our entire mission is exploring ways to make sure we pay, make sure people feel welcomed and like they are a part of the collective in a big way. Awesome. Thank you for being inclusive in this. Oh, so divisive world. <laughs> and I have to say MLK day is coming up, uh, Martin Luther King. And I have this, this quote up by him. And I just, I want to thank you for, for thinking of others in this way. And he says that one of life's most persistent and urgent questions is what are you doing for others? So I want to thank you for being on the podcast and being who you are, John, um, keeping it real in the ultra community. And I, I really hope that 
this interview sparks some interest in, in people that have perhaps just want to dip their toe in and come volunteer or come work on the trail with us uh, one day this year. Um, any parting words for, for our listeners? Yeah, I'll just add that ultra marathon running is a sport that does not have a particular person. When I, when I first asked what ultra marathon running was, the answers I got were you just you need to be stubborn and able to put up with this discomfort. Nobody mentioned running to me. And so, you know, you don't need to be the greatest runner in the world. You don't even need to have run a marathon on the roads. Anybody can do this. It doesn't matter your gender, how you identify, your shape, your size, your height, uh, how much you weigh. There's a space for you here. And and we are on a mission to, to continue to make this sport accessible both financially and physically for people. You could come and walk some of our races and still make it. Um, so, you know, if people are out there and they're listening and, and you know, I can't, I can't even fathom running 100 miles. Well, we were all there too. Um, and, and I just want you to know that the whole reason it is human potential is because there's an opportunity there for you to discover what really is possible for yourself. And so I hope more people will um, check us out. Our website's humanpotentialrunning.com. Thanks for being on the podcast today, John. Thanks, Ryan. Great to, great to be a guest, man. Thank you. All right, Life Life Tribe, what do you think? Pretty unique interview. John has a very awesome viewpoint on ultra running. He says, ultra running works what is in between your two ears. It marries the up brain or your decision making brain with our action brain, which is our lower brain, our primal instincts brain to move and to take action. He says, when people ask him, what are you doing out there for 50, 100 miles running? And he says, the trail is for me. That's my psychology. I think about life, where I've been, and where I'm heading, and who do I want to take this journey with. See, we all have a ways to reflect, but if you want to reflect, work that brain in between your ears, and feel like a superhero all in one day, you're just going to have to find out by coming and running with us. You can find more information, anything from trail improvement days, to volunteering, to even running in an event at Human Potential Running Series at www.humanpotentialrunning.com. I'll see you out on the trail, everybody.